The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. I also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's something very curious in our text from Ezekiel this morning. As Charlie read, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16 says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays, and will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Why would a shepherd destroy the sleek and strong sheep? I, I mean, that's what you're going for if you're a shepherd, right? You want to have sheep that are fat and strong. Those are the kinds of sheep that are going to be able to produce the most wool. If they're female, produce the most milk, produce the more sheep. And then when it finally does come time for the mutton chop, it's going to be nice and big. Why would he destroy them? Well, the answer is the rest of verse 16, because I will shepherd the flock with justice. So the problem is not that the sheep are fat and strong. The problem is how they got that way. Now, in part of the text that is not assigned for our reading today, we read, Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? 
Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? That's 18 and 19. And then verse 21, which Charlie read, because you shove, shoved with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you drove them away. The sheep that are fat and strong in this story are the ones who got fat and strong because they bullied the ones that were weaker. Not only did they bully them, they then trampled all over the rest once they had had their fill and made it useless for the rest of the flock. How did they get away with that? They got away with that because they were not being shepherded well. The shepherd's staff, the crozier, big long stick, is used for a number of things. One of them is to whack sheep that are misbehaving, or at least to separate them from ones that need some protection. If these sheep had been shepherded well, then you wouldn't have some getting fat and sleek at the expense of the others. You'd have a whole flock that was healthy, that was thriving. This image of a shepherd, of course, is one that we find over and over in Scripture in reference specifically to the leaders of God's people. Back in chapter, uh, in Psalm 78, right at the end of the psalm, we read, this is one of those uh, psalms that gives you kind of a Cliff Notes version of, of the story up to that point. They're very helpful. At the end, he says, He, God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. So, when Ezekiel is critiquing the wicked shepherds, what he's critiquing is those who are in the line of of David, the kings of Israel. And what do these bad shepherds do? What do these wicked shepherds do? Now, at the beginning of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, he says, they only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? But you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. These are shepherds who feed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. And, here's what's important, they only paid attention to the ones that could get them something right away. He says, you've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You haven't brought back the strays or searched for the lost. In fact, not only did you not care for them, you mistreated them. And the result of that is that the sheep were scattered. And a scattered sheep are vulnerable. A sheep scattered not under the care of a good shepherd are vulnerable to attack 
vulnerable to injury, vulnerable to illness. The weak sheep are still weak. The strong sheep, well, they stayed strong until, of course, they got eaten. And that is, after all, what God said would happen. If you go back and read in 1 Samuel, this is the story of uh, the institution of the kingship in Israel. Chapter 8, verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, God's prophet, at Ramah. And they said, you're old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. So appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you, but hear this, Samuel, it's not you that they've rejected. They rejected me as their king. If you remember from Torah, the way God set up the whole system for the nation of Israel was He was going to do all the things you want a king to do. He was going to protect them from enemies. He was going to ensure that there was justice. He was going to provide for His people and make sure that there was peace. But as they'd done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, God says, until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, that's what they're doing to you. So listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, if you, you want a king, this is what a king's going to do. He's, he's going to take your sons. He's going to make them serve with his chariots and horses. They're going to have to run in front of his chariots. He's going to assign some of them to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Others are going to have to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Still others will make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Your daughters, he's going to take them to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He's going to take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Can you imagine? A 10% tax. Your men servants and maidservants, the best of your cattle and donkeys, he's going to take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us, and then we'll be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, all right, they want a king, give them a king. And that's what they got. 500 years after that or so, Ezekiel is in Babylon, where the southern kingdom had been exiled, the northern kingdom already having been scattered These wicked shepherds preyed on the sheep and took what they wanted from them. 
So what's the solution? What's the solution to wicked shepherds? Well, I think the answer is go find yourself a good one. As it turns out, later on in this same Bible, we read about a good shepherd. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 10, starting in verse 10, He says, you know, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when the, he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's just a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. But I, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. How do we respond to that? Well, in short, by treating him that way. We have a picture of what that can look like from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who believe have, uh, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Joshua had given them rest. God wouldn't have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we were, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My friends of St. Andrew's, our guests watching, if you are one of those sheep who's been scattered, if you're roaming the hillsides, vulnerable to predators, to sickness, and to injury, respond to the call of your good shepherd. There are all kinds of predators out there who want to take advantage of you. There's a good shepherd who wants to take you into his fold. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you're a sick sheep, if you're hurt, if you're weak, bring your infirmities to Jesus. Our high priest, our good shepherd, is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. He was without sin, but he knows what it's like. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and we'll get the help that we need. Jesus can heal you even as far as forgiving the guilt of your sin. And if you're fat and strong, use that. Use that strength and that health to benefit others rather than bullying them. Don't follow their example of disobedience. But make every effort to enter the rest of our good shepherd. Remember, God did say He would destroy those wicked sheep. As we said in our psalm, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And we experience all of the blessings of being His people and the sheep of His pasture. We experience all that it is to have Christ as our King when we treat Him like our Good Shepherd. Amen.